I also want to live in a universe where um, where Pretty Cure still went like 15 years or whatever it's been, but it's just been Natalie and Hannah the whole time, and they've like anchored the show the whole way through. I think that would be really I'm, cool. I'm and they pull like a like a lyrical Nanoha, and they're adults now. And yeah, still like they or they, they even ate like if they did like a Steven Universe thing where they like gradually age throughout the seasons and stuff. Yeah. And then you know my character They're like has a side has a side thing where he like opens up like some sort of sports store or something and he goes through like crippling depression and bankruptcy but then he like turns it around <laughs> because he invests in stocks you know like that would be really I think kids would be into that so I I totally watch like unironically I would watch that like just saying <laughs> so Toei if you're listening can you just do a spinoff yeah. of of uh, of Sean Ferguson. Just call it Sean Ferguson. Even in <laughs> even in Japan, just just forget the show. No, no, no. It's it's gotta be like Fujimira. or call it. It's call gotta it be Fuji like P. or call it Fu- Fergie. Yeah, Fuji P with an call exclamation Fer- mark at the end. Yeah. Call it Fergie P, but with no no context <laughs> of what the P means. And then and then uh, don't hire me to do it though. I just want to watch it. I don't want to be in it. everyone. Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Uh, so this podcast is an exploration of the connections between anime and Canadian media. And this episode is a retrospective on an anime series that has had some kind of unique cultural significance in Canada. And we're going to be talking about Pretty Cure, uh, specifically the original Pretty Cure series, Futariwa Pretty Cure, uh, which aired on YTV back in 2009. Um, so usually we talk about shows that had... Uh, a major impact or were really popular, Pretty Cure is a little different because it is generally perceived as kind of a failure or something that didn't have an impact in Canada. Whether or not this is really truly the case, I don't know. I guess we'll kind of explore that uh, through the episode. Um, I have done a little poking around though, and I have uh, I was surprised to discover that there's a possibility that uh, Pretty Cure was not a failure in Japan. I am being facetious, of course. It is one of the uh, most profitable franchises on Earth. I think it's it's worth uh, over $7 billion from what I checked. It's a sandwich in between Sonic the Hedgehog and Candy Crush, which is not a bad place to be. Uh, joining me for this episode are uh, some well-qualified people to help me explore the world of Pretty Cure. And if you listen to the show a lot, you should be familiar with uh, Aaron Dearden, who's been on uh, a number of times before. Aaron, can you just uh, introduce yourself quickly? Hi there. It's good to be back as always. If for some reason this is your first episode of Zen in Canada that you're listening to, my name is Aaron, also known as Aaron Cerise. Um, I have a series on YouTube called Maho Profile, A History of Magical Girls, uh, where I go through well, the history of Magical Girls, one show at a time from the very beginning of the genre in the 1960s going forward. It's kind of on hiatus at the moment, but I'm still actively working on it. The current video is just taking a really long time because there's a lot to say about Cutie Honey. And of course, my Magical Girl knowledge does extend to Pretty Cure as well. It would have to because it's it's really the only Magical Girl show, right? At least the only Magical Girl show that's actually targeted at children. The, the rest seem to... There's have... definitely other ones, but they're pretty curious, certainly the juggernaut at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also joining us is Pike, uh, another super cure pretty fan. Uh, 
sorry. (laughs) Another uh, Pretty Cure super fan. Uh, Pike, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm, I go by Pike online. Um, I, by day I work in a microbiology lab, which is, uh, pretty neat. And, uh, by night I freak out about Pretty Cure in general. Uh, specifically the first season, Futariwa Pretty Cure, which we'll be talking about, is my absolute favorite. I just find it to be very special to me for various reasons, which I'll probably get into later. And, um, I just, uh, there's just something about it that really stands out to me more than any of the other seasons or any anime, really. I would, I would easily call this my favorite, um, anime of all time, not just my favorite precure season. And I love talking about it. So I'm very glad to have the opportunity to just scream about it as much as I want. Um, uh, I'm looking forward and, to it. Uh, <laughs> this was, uh, this was my first time kind of watching the dub because I've seen mm-hmm. it multiple times in the original, um, Japanese, but um, for this, I did watch some of the key episodes um, in the dub, and it was my first time, so that was that was pretty exciting, and I'm uh, looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, and the the dub was produced in Calgary by Blue Water Studios. It's one of the few uh, handful of notable shows that aired in Canada, but never in the United States. And uh, we also have one of the voice actors who worked on the show joining us today, Will Wood. Uh, yeah, hi. Um... How's it going, everybody? If you've listened to uh, Pretty Cure, you'd know me as the voice of Sean Ferguson. Oh, hey, Hannah. How's it going? Oh, Natalie, that's so cool. Um, I think that's what he sounded like. I'm pretty sure I nailed that. Um, I'm a voice actor, an improv comedian, a writer, a gamer. Uh, I like I like stuff and things. Um, I live in Vancouver, and I'm happy to have you here. And I personally am a super cure pretty fan <laughs> <laughs> and will um so of course you played you played uh ferguson who who's a civilian character which means that unfortunately you never once got to say mipple while you were recording pretty cure no but if i remember correctly and i it's been a while since i've seen the series and i'm sure you guys can can tell me if i'm wrong but i feel like there was an episode where my character did actually get to see some of the crazy stuff that was happening is that did or am i misremembering that i feel like he did and then like later on they were like no no it's amnesia or something like that but i, I feel, feel like he got like, to, I, uh, he got to yeah. see it one time but. i feel like there was one where he was like what i think i saw something weird and they were like oh it was just a dream you pass out or the the usual precure mm. excuse when when a civilian sees all the crazy stuff <laughs> Yeah, no, I never, I, I never got to say Mipple as that character. Although we did do a lot of like, uh, like background stuff. So I, okay, I may have right. said the name. I may, my voice at some point in the series may have said the name Mipple, but I don't know. You heard it here first, first folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I just said it now. I can say it as, uh, as Fergie right now. Mipple. There you go. <laughs> we'll, we'll. You know what? That, if no, if nothing else, we will make sure that you have as many opportunities as possible to say Mipple throughout the course of this podcast because uh, we we got to talk about Mipple. <laughs> I love Mipples, man. They're they're really important to me. <laughs> they're they're soft and squishy and yellow. Eh, I, I like Mipples too. If if nope. we're being Mipple honest. is like, yellow, Mipple is pink. There we go. Oh, that's right. I got them mixed up. <laughs> Mipples are usually pink. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I've already forgotten. Well, not which one usually. Is which. They're all different. Anyway, 
Um, so yes, uh, pr- Pretty Cure, massive sprawling franchise in Japan. Um, it is, you know, one of those franchises where there is uh, a new one every single year. It starts every February. And it is also a, a Toei production, and it's been kind of notorious for uh, not being available uh, for most of the time that it's been running in Japan, with a few exceptions. Um, that's finally changed now, because starting just a few weeks ago, Toei has finally made the latest Pretty Cure se- season, Healing Good Pretty Cure, available on Crunchyroll in Canada and the U.S., although I don't think you can watch... You, you still can't access the first 12 episodes. Uh, yeah, they're, they're working on that, yeah. from what I hear. Yeah, uh, you can you can you have to start at episode thirteen, and I believe Alamode uh, is a, has was made available in its entirety in some European countries. Yes. Yeah. That so, is correct. So the the tide may finally be turning on that, and we may finally have better access to Pretty Cure. But uh, this this uh, dub that aired on YTV was one of the rare instances where there was an attempt to localize Pretty Cure uh, in North America. I don't think that's how many of us discovered the series, but um, let's start off just by talking about how we were introduced to Pretty Cure. I'll just chime in first. The franchise is something I was aware of since it started, but something I never really looked into uh, through most of that time. I was excited when I found out that, you know, the this Calgary-produced dub was going to air on YTV back in 2009. That's mainly because at this point in time, this is when anime was kind of declining on YTV. And when it debuted, which was March 6th, 2009, that was just a little less than a year after uh, the Bionics block was pretty much put out to pasture. They moved it to Saturdays, which was kind of like the the, the death knell on that. And I was really hoping that Pretty Cure uh, would be a, a hit and could revitalize anime on the channel. And unfortunately, that I absolutely didn't. That too. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, it did not happen. Uh Despite the excitement, uh, and, you know, despite the fact that I was really excited for it, um, I was never actually able to watch it live, because uh, it aired, it always aired in time slots that were specifically times that were convenient for children, but not convenient for anyone else. Which made sense, because Pretty Cure is very much a show for young children. Um, And so it it aired usually early in the morning, or after school. Uh... And I didn't go out of my way to record it or anything, because I just assumed that surely there would be many opportunities in the future to watch this dub legally. But Surely, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, to this day, the the only legal way there has ever been to watch the English dub of Futari Wa Cure in North America has been the YTV broadcast. Um, it did air in the UK about a year and a half later on uh, the Sony-owned a free sat channel called Pop Girl, uh, which no longer exists, uh, but that is it. Uh, apart from those two broadcasts, it has never been released on home video. It has never been made available streaming. Um, it is currently just sitting in the Toei vault, side by side with the Ocean Dub of Dragon Ball Kai, and I, I hope we'll see it again in some form. But uh, they, it doesn't seem that Toei wants that to be the case right now, which, um, you know, they can be, they can be like that sometimes. Okay, uh, Aaron, can you share your, your pretty care story with us? Well, obviously, I've just generally been into Magical Girls for a long time. I've got the, the standard Sailor Moon YTV story that I've told on the podcast before. Um, so pretty care is something I've always been aware of. Um, I think I most directly started to get interested in it 
when I was really big into anime music specifically. I had an anime music podcast back in the day that thankfully nobody will probably be able to find anymore. Um, <laughs> but uh, there were a lot of like Precure MP3s in the places I used to go hunt for anime music. So I got into it through the music first and... That's why I feel so strongly about the the opening theme, which I'm going to talk about later, is um, the fact that it slaps just on its own without even knowing what the show is. And that's the case for a lot of Pretty Cure music. <laughs> um, and I was curious about the show, obviously, after a while, after having just listened to the opening themes out of context. Um, so eventually I finally decided, OK, I should watch some Pretty Cure. I'm not sure what which one, though, because there are a million of them. Uh, and I ended up settling on uh, Yes 5 Pretty Cure as my first, because that was the first of the the Sentai-style team ones, and that seemed to be the default mode for Pretty Cure, so I thought, okay, maybe I'll start there. Uh, and that was a good decision. It's a, it's not a perfect show, but it is a cute little show um, that has a that same strong uh, sort of focus on female friendship that is appealing to me about Magical Girls as a whole. Um, characters caught my attention and it ended pretty strongly. So I was like, okay. So I, I continued from there. I watched a few more things. I watched Fresh Pretty Cure, which I agree also slaps. <laughs> um, and I actually still have not watched all of the original Futariwa Pretty Cure. I've watched the first 10 episodes, uh, mostly dubbed actually, because I was <laughs> interested in it for the video I was doing last year. Um, and then some scattered episodes afterwards. Um, and I do intend to get back to the rest of it someday. I may be biased, but that dub is great. That dub is pretty great. <laughs> I, I'm definitely going to get back to the rest of the original Futariwa at some point, because uh, when I had started watching it for that video that I did, I was commissioned from my Patreon to review a specific episode for that for that show. It was episode 14. Um, and I decided oh, I'll watch a little bit of the show to get some context for that one episode. Uh, and I meant to only watch a couple, but I ended up, like I said, watching the first 10 because it was that, like, just compelling. You could watch it like pop, like popping popcorn. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at now. I've, I've watched a few more Pretty Cures since, and I'm still learning stuff about the franchise, and yeah. Uh, Pike, why don't we uh, talk to you next? How did you, how did you discover Pretty Cure? What is your Pretty Cure story? Pretty Cure is one of those things that I've been kind of aware of for a little while, um, just because I had friends who would, usually the typical story was they'd be like, oh, what's this thing about magical girls? And then that would be like the only thing they would talk about suddenly for like the next year. So it seems like a very um, addictive kind of thing. And I only kind of heard about it from fan circles. I am your, uh, I am your Yank guest from the South. So we did not have it here um, on TV. And um, yeah. I started watching it right pretty much actually after my uh, girlfriend and I got together. She said, like, um, I, want, I have this anime I want to show you. And I said, OK. And um, she said it's called Fresh Pretty Cure. And I said, oh, yeah, Pretty Cure. I think I've heard of that, but I've never you know, watched it or anything. And so we watched it together. It's like one of her favorite anime. And I fell in love with it. I thought that it was great. I just loved everything about it. And not to go on a huge tangent, but uh, Fresh had like a really neat like redemption arc. And like, you know, it was it was really kind of surprising how uh, interesting it was to me as a kid's show. So um, I was like, 
oh my god, that's so great. I, I want to watch more of this. So we went on to, um, we watched, the next one we watched was Kira Kira Precure All the Mode, which at the time had just finished airing. We watched that, and again, I loved it. And at that point, I was so sold, I was like, I'm going to watch all the Precure now. I'm going to go back to the very beginning and watch it all. And so that was kind of the story of how I got into Pretty Cure was then I went back to the beginning, which, of course, is the first season, Futari Wa Pretty Cure, which we're going to be talking about. And um, I just kind of remember after the end of uh, Max Heart, which is the sequel season to Futari Wa Pretty Cure, it was ending, and I just had this kind of, like, sadness of, like, Oh, we're never gonna see these characters again. I'm, I'm so sad. Cause I just gotten so attached to the characters. And, um, spoiler alert, because they are the first, you know, kind of the, uh, senpai pretty cures, they actually do come back on occasion as for, like, special events. So, which is, which makes me very happy. But, um, I went on to, you know, watch all the other precures, and, you know, I love precure as a whole, as a franchise, but the first one was just really special to me for a variety of reasons. Mostly the characters I just thought were just so, so well done. Done, and of course the action and everything about it was just really neat to me and um since then i have kind of been slightly obsessed and <laughs> that is my uh that is my pretty cure story and the, the first the first show is just it's so simple yeah. but so charming yeah uh, and it's you know i i think a lot of it too comes down to how the first pretty cure was about two girls that's why it's called futariwa the two of us are you know pretty cure and precure would later yeah. start to move toward like a more like a sentai style you know like here's a five girl team or six girl team you know kind of you know and that's also obviously been very popular so because that's their usual formula now but there is something about just the two girls together that just really i think really drew me in okay will why don't we uh get your story into sure um uh, this may or may not surprise anybody, but my introduction to Pretty Cure was when I received some audition sides for this uh, show uh, that was called Pretty Cure. And I was like, oh, what's this? This looks interesting. And um, as I do with anything that I get auditions for, um, especially if it's like if it's a, a dub of a Japanese show that already exists versus like a prelay series of like a new cartoon that's being produced at the time, um, I immediately... Uh, as an actor and as a general fan of things, we'll go and start researching everything about it. And if my character that I'm auditioning for already exists, I will go and listen to the original Japanese character to like just to try it. Like, obviously, when you're when you're dubbing stuff in English, you're you're not often trying to just like do an English version of whatever the Japanese original is necessarily. I mean, you want to keep intent and stuff like that, but I like to just like absorb it and see all that kind of stuff and who the character is and look them up and everything. So that was my introduction to pretty cure was like, and I remember my first thought was like, Oh, so it's like sailor moon. Um, Cause you know, it's like magical girl stuff. And, and I didn't know how big um, the magical girl phenomenon was at the time back in 2009 um, especially because um, you know the internet wasn't quite what it is now and all that kind of stuff but I was looking up to, uh, looking into it and all that kind of stuff and then I, as the time has gone by and I've obviously seen the show since I've been in it and have seen that the show definitely goes well beyond those first uh, two seasons because you said Max Hart is like basically the second season of the of, of Futariwa Pretty Cure right um, like it, it still centers on this on the two uh, main characters um, of uh, Nagisa and Honoka or Natalie and Hannah in English. And um, I remember at the time, because I think even in 2009, like the the show had advanced beyond like the first couple of seasons and 
and uh, looking back and I'm looking at it right now too and, and I'd seen it over the years but yeah it's striking how because I'm like looking at an image right now of all of the different cures together and like Natalie and Hannah or you know the, their Japanese names, but I know them as that because I was uh, in the dub. Obviously, they mm-hmm. they stand out from every other character. Like just like it's so ridiculous how different they look from everybody else. Because every other Kira looks like I haven't seen the shows afterwards, but it it seems to me like all of them basically, uh, like you said, like a Sentai thing where they're all basically one color scheme. They have the same color hair as their outfit and everything. Whereas the two in the original, to me, are the only ones who look like sort of regular people if that makes sense um so i and you had said that yeah. uh, that those two come back later on and i was kind of curious because i don't know because i haven't seen it just from what i looked at like does everything moving beyond that is it all like obviously they wouldn't be like referencing a lot of stuff but is it like an actual continuity like does everything that happened in the first two seasons like exist in that world moving forward is it all well it's it like a, a weird reset? fuzzy timey wimey canony wanony kind of thing <laughs> Basically, um, every separate Pretty Cure series is its own universe, more or less, but there are crossover movies where all of them get together. Okay. So it's kind of, it's almost like there's two, there's two sets of continuity, one where everyone is separate and one where they're all together. Okay, so to me, I'm just going to, in my head, say that this is like uh, different versions of the Ninja Turtles, but then there's a couple specials where they cross over their different universes. Yeah, exactly. It's like that. It's That's yeah. Cool. I always, uh, I always kind of compare it to. Um, I don't know if anyone has played Final Fantasy, but kind of every Final Fantasy oh, yes. game is kind of its own universe, but they all have some similar elements. Like they've all got like Moogles and Chocobos and you know whatever, and it's very similar with Pretty Cure. Whereas you know every season has kind of you know they've all got the little you know fairy companions. They've all got you know toys that they're trying to sell kind of and they've all got you know kind of similar elements but they're also all in their own little universe kind of but, but they will when... do yeah they'll do like an all-stars where suddenly everyone is together and they kind of hand wave it as oh yeah they're all together now and you know just yeah just and an in, in recent on screen <laughs> so here's a question then based on on final fantasy um, which I'm a huge fan of, like I'm a big gamer. But um, how many uh, mobile Pretty Cure games with a bunch of microtransactions are there oh where you can God. get all the different characters and gotcha-style elements? Oh, that must there, exist, right? It existed. I put 300 hours into it, and it ended about a month or two ago, and I'm very sad about that. So Pour, pour one out for, for Cure Poos. Pour <laughs> one out for the Pretty Cure puzzle game, which I I played religiously and collected all my favorites, which I still have on my phone because I feel sad about deleting it. So, yes. <laughs> so, in the community, is it, like, what I mentioned there, because, like I said, when I'm looking at the picture of all, like, I don't know if this is all of them, but at, at the time that this image was created, like, Am I alone in in thinking that like the two originals like definitely like stand out like you can pick them out immediately or is that just because I know them but it just looks like they they don't really belong with the rest of the group honestly Oh absolutely I I feel like and the character design I feel for their for their costumes especially is also very different because um Especially one of the things I really like about the originals is that, you know, instead of like kind of like, oh, we're magical girls, we have like high heels or like, oh, no, we got boots. We're going to stomp you in the face. And this was actually um, 
intentional from the uh, director who said that um, he wanted to make a show that showed that girls could stand on their own two feet without any outside aid. And so their flat kind of boots made for stomping are meant to kind of show that. And in later seasons, I think they kind of went into, you know, overboard with the pretty kind of dress up and they've got, you know, they've got heels now. The, you know, the outfits are frillier and not to say that getting kicked in the face with heels isn't going to hurt, but I do uh, really appreciate just the more, really more grounded, very physical weighty style of the, of the original character design and yeah the fact that they don't have like you know pink hair or um you know yeah. crazy colors you know it, it's, it's, it's all more, it's all yeah. very practical like it's the boots it's the the like gloves that are made for punching it's the fact yeah. that like they have like bike shorts under their skirts so there's like no like possible way you could get a, a fan service shot of them or anything which ugh. um <laughs> it's the shoulder pads <laughs> it's it's everything I know when, when Pretty Cure first started airing, the way people would always describe it would be that it's similar to Sailor Moon, but instead of uh, using, like, magic attacks, they just kick and punch everyone. Uh, it is worth noting that there is there is lots of kicking and punching in Sailor Moon, but most people don't realize that because <laughs> it was edited out of the deke dub. But yeah, the uh, I mean, that whole I, uh, focus on girls standing on their own two feet and, and putting the focus on, on battling, that's because... Uh, Toei was looking for, like, a, a different direction to go with their 8.30 a.m. girls' time slot. So they, they basically own this time slot on TV Asahi, 8.30 a.m. every Sunday. Uh, and it's a time slot that's traditionally targeted at young girls. And I, it's worth emphasizing, and uh, Aaron especially, I think, can back mm -hmm. me up on this, that time slots are very important in Japan. Extremely Oftentimes, so. A, Has a been since the beginning. <laughs> Time slots are I mean, just as important, important now. Too. Mm -hmm. They're less important. Um, now, like in Japan, it, the time slot you're in is just as important now as it was in 1967. Oh, um, yeah. That's now just, it's all streaming here in the West. So. Yeah. When Pretty Cure aired in Canada, uh, a, a lot of people made a big deal about the fact that for at least part of its run, it kept moving. The time slot kept moving around, which is... An indication both that it wasn't doing very well, but also that, you know, YTV was trying to give the show a chance. You definitely can't deny that they tried to make it work. But for a, a period of time on YTV, they were running Pretty Cure on weekdays at 3.30 p.m., which famously, uh, that's when they ran Sailor Moon when it first debuted. And a lot of people make a big deal out of the fact that the, the time slot that Sailor Moon ran at is a big reason why it was able to be such a success here because it's just the perfect time for kids to watch after school. Um, Royal Canadian Air Force made a joke about Sailor Moon in one of their episodes, and they made sure to point out that time slot in their joke, which I thought was kind of, which I thought was kind of funny, even though the segment is not really that funny. But yeah, in, in Japan, time slot is everything. Uh, and Toei Animation basically owns that 8.30 a.m. time slot on TV Asahi. And over the years, it's been home to basically girl-targeted shows, um, they've had stuff like Marmalade Boy, everyone's uh, non-problematic fave Hana Yuri Dongo, um, <laughs> and, uh, and and other stuff. And uh, Ojimajo Doremi, which four kids um, released here as Magical Doremi uh, in the early 2000s, had that time slot for several years. When it ended, they replaced it with a show called Ashta no Naja, which is kind of an, like a historical fiction kind of show, kind of similar to Candy Candy. I have I I've I haven't seen that one uh myself so I can't comment on it but it was 
regarded as a, a big failure uh, in its time slot and ran for one year. So they kind of went back to the drawing board uh, with what they wanted to do next. And they hired on um, a new producer, or a, not a new producer, but uh, Takashi Washio uh, to sort of come up with a new direction to go with this gir- with the girl-targeted time slot. I, I did uh, bring up one interview with him. I, I had to run it through Google Translate, but he said something to the effect of, I asked if I could make an animation with a different taste, and that was kind of what he implemented into Pretty Cure. And, and again, the, the proposal, the initial proposal for this series was making a show where uh, girls were able to stand on their own two feet, uh, and he, he said it would be cool if, like Kikaider, our, our old Sentai shows that he liked when he was a child, um, if they would fight together, but like a girl's version of that. And he wanted to get rid of that barrier of being, of, of what type of show you'd watch if you're a boy uh, or a girl. And that is why they got Daisuke Nishio, who was the director for a significant portion of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, and also directed uh, Interstellar 4 or 5, if you're, uh, if you're not aware. He, he got on board, and they very much saw eye-to-eye on that uh, and wanted to develop a show where it would be unthinkable for or to need a male character to come and and help the girls, where it would be cool if they could just always solve it on their own strength. He also mentioned that, you know, they obviously they wanted something similar to Sailor Moon, but he, he in that interview he commented that Sailor Moon at that time in the early 2000s was regarded as a show that you couldn't do anymore and i've always found that attitude kind of interesting because it seems that every time they try to do you know well we've been in constant state of sailor moon revival for like a decade now but it's been the 25th anniversary of sailor moon for what five years now (laughs) something like that yeah but sailor moon revival is something that's always targeted at nostalgic adults compared to say dragon ball which is always primarily targeted at kids so I i find it interesting that i'm a nostalgic um, adult when it comes to dragon ball yeah. well you're yeah. you're still important but you're not as important as the kids on that um, i get that a lot <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's always this this feeling that you need to do it differently than how you did sailor moon and i i, I personally i have speculation that um the act of localizing Sailor Moon S and Supers because Toei actually, unlike the first part of Sailor Moon, which was handled by Deke, Toei actually did those seasons themselves. And I, I think that that may have influenced kind of Pretty Cure from the ground up. Because when Toei makes a, a kid show, they have two ways of doing it. They could do it with an international audience in mind, which is how they handle things like Dragon Ball Super or Digimon, or they can do it with only a domestic audience in mind. They had a recent, like their recent uh, Gege no Kitaro series. It was very much, when they made that, they were not thinking, worrying about international audiences at all and do all the weird things that you know you can't do in other countries. Um, Pretty Cure, when I watch, when I watch, and I watched the whole first series to prepare for this podcast, it really comes off as a series that was made with an international audience in mind. That's kind of the impression I got. Which makes it kind of funny because it has such a storied history of not being <laughs> distributed internationally. I think Italy and Germany got it shortly after it aired in Japan, but well, it's Italy gets been... everything. Yeah. Italy gets everything. Latin and... America also um, got it at some point. I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. when. But... Yeah. So can I ask 
because I haven't seen anything past the basically the stuff that I've been in, but I get the impression just by looking at it that everything that comes after the original two, uh, the original series with the original two characters, not only do they obviously look very different, but I, I get the impression just by looking at it that it, the whole tone and feel of the show would be very different from the first season. Like in in the following series that that show up. Are the main characters like still going to high school and worrying about high school dances and stuff like that, or is it like I I don't know like is it is it a similar in concept or I'm actually curious because I haven't seen much of it how how like just more about the franchise in Japan and how it's evolved uh, both during the original series and beyond. I would say for the most part, actually, it yes, it does uh, still maintain a, a pretty good balance of like slice of life school kids and. Um, and the fight scenes. It's so for that, um, as far as that's concerned, I think it actually has, um, remained pretty consistent. Um, the, the uh, characters for the most part are all in middle school. They're usually around 14 years old. Uh, occasionally they'll have a younger cure or the, a, a really cool, like an older, like a 17 year old cure. They have those every so often. But, uh, for the most part, it, it it does maintain its kind of roots as a story about, um, you know, middle school kids who have a, a secret kind of superhero life. So that actually has stayed um, pretty consistent through the years. Yeah, no, you'll get mild tonal differences for different series, uh, but for the most part, it's fairly consistent. And it's always this uh, this focus on the girls' school lives and their friendships with each other and relationships with people in their lives and how they can help them out with their magical girl kicking and punching powers. So do they have, um, cause I know like Natalie and Hannah in the original series, they don't, they don't have like a, like obviously it's anime, but they, you know, like their hair colors are more, um, you know, for lack of a better term, like more normal to real life kind of thing. Whereas when you see all the pictures of the other ones, they have like really striking, vibrant hair colors. Do those, is that like what everybody in the school looks like in those series? Or is that like, <laughs> hair color? No, it's Does still that... very much main character syndrome. It's... Although I will yeah. say um, for the way that it started to be after the initial few series, um, it started to be where the, the civilian identities of the cures would have more subdued hair and their hair would actually change and become more so lavish transform. as they transform. Mm. My, uh, my favorite of, in that, uh, regard is actually in Doki Doki Precure where the main character, Mana, her civilian form, she has pink hair, but then her super precure hair is just blonde. <laughs> I just thought that was so So funny. she goes from a more so unusual she's, hair she's color to the last one. Yeah, yeah. And I always just thought that was funny because it, it just seems like the reverse of, you know, oh, they, they start with a more mundane hair color, but then, you know, they, you know, they're super form. They get like bright, hot pink. And, and she kind of had the went the opposite route. And I just thought that was so funny. <laughs> like, can, can you actually describe Futari Wa Pretty here? Just the plot in a nutshell? It's about this main character named Shoujo Fujimura. Yeah. And he... <laughs> <laughs> he is the life. star of the, he is the star of the show. It revolves around him. Anyway, and there just happen to be these these yeah. like weird explosions every now and then. Who knows what's up with? Yeah, that? there's little in, yeah. there's incidental events that happen like on the side, but it's really about him and his soccer practice. And so. I think one time yeah. maybe there was a monster, but maybe he dreamed it, and that's the exciting yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, I think he saw a snowman move one time, and that was pretty <laughs> exciting. Anyway, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
Yeah, basically, um, the plot of the show is, and it's pretty simple because it is a, you know, it's a show for kids. Um, it's about two girls, Nagisa and Honoka, or Natalie and Hannah, depending on whether you're watching the dub or the sub, um, who go to the same middle school and they don't really know each other because they're into completely different things. Um, Nagisa is more, kind of more sporty and, and outgoing, whereas Honoka is more, um, I wouldn't really say she's shy, but she's kind of like a science geek, kind of, and she's yeah. just not really interested she's... in talking to people so much as she is yeah. about, like, reading her textbook, kind of. Yeah, she, she's and... very studious, and uh, but kind of elegant, too, so mm-hmm. they, they contrast each other in that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, basically they each, um, through different circumstances, find uh, mysterious fairies who come from a another world the garden of light and they happen to um they happen to kind of be able to turn into flip phones which i think in in <laughs> retrospect is kind of weird but like you after you've watched a show for all you're like oh yeah that's no, fine. Me, they're, they're excuse me fine. i think you'll find they're called card communes true they are called <laughs> card communes well the original <laughs> japanese was was uh produced in like 2004 2005 right 2004 so. yeah yeah, yeah. So, so this I was the height like, of emerging yeah, that technology. Was, that was cutting edge, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a, something halfway between a flip phone and a compact, kind of. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. I and think it's can... something halfway between a Motorola Razor and a Yu-Gi-Oh card, personally. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They do have cards, which I, I find interesting, because I feel like, you know, that kind of, I don't know if you guys remember, kind of at the turn of the century when everything was suddenly about, like, card games, like Yu-Gi-Oh! And, yeah. Like, you know, I, so I kind of feel like they were kind of playing on that a little. Like, oh, we'll throw in cards because why not um it's a yeah, toy like toy yeah. has always they, been they hawking a toy. using toys yeah exactly so they're like they can sell you know collector cards but yeah so anyway they can um use the cards to um basically they they hold hands swipe the card through the commune and um are able to transform into the uh legendary warriors pretty cure densetsu no senshi Perikua, and um which gives them kind of superhuman strength they can jump really high they um gain like you know uh they gain some superpowers magical powers but those are mostly used as finishing moves the bulk of their uh, fighting is done through punching, kicking, lots and lots of action. Um, and basically the plot is they're trying to save the uh, fairies world from the Dark King, who is kind of just the big bad who wants to, you know, destroy everything because he's the big bad. And um, so basically it's uh, the plot follows them kind of it's like a, a slice of life kind of mixed in with like a monster of the week kind of because the bad guys can... They can summon monsters called Zakenas, which are kind of just various objects that come to life and fight and are always really silly, kind of like they had like a vacuum cleaner monster and, you know, stuff like that. They always say Zakena, right? Like they're. Zakena. Yeah, they only say their own name. They only <laughs> like say. A Pokemon. Un- yeah, until they're destroyed, at which point they turn into millions of little stars and say, come in, come in, come in. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, um, in English, they say <laughs> Zakena too, don't they, when they run away? Oh, they, no, they, they, say, they say Gomenna, even they in They say Gomenna, even in English, which I thought was interesting. Do they? Okay. Yeah. But they, the rest of the time, they just say, Zakina! <laughs> but yeah, basically, the show kind of is just, it's about the two girls becoming better friends, um, which I think is actually done in a really, uh, a really realistic way, because they aren't friends right away. It takes them, it takes them eight episodes to actually 
call each other by their first name in the uh, original Japanese version, which in the dub is, they, they kind of do it in a cute way where, where Honoka is allowed to call Nagisa or Natalie by her nickname Nat, which was, I thought was a cute localization. Um, it really and, is. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I thought that that was, it was a really cute way of doing that. And, um, yeah, that's kind of the show is these two girls happen to have superpowers. They become the best of friends. They beat up bad guys. They save the day. It's um, it, it's kind of a bittersweet ending because the fairies do kind of, I guess, spoiler alert, they do go away at the end, but they also come back immediately at the very beginning of the sequel season. So it's not like really a sad ending. Which, which aired the <laughs> week after. it. Yeah. <laughs> so. and, and they had been, pl- Toei had been playing ads for it, like on TV for like months. So everybody knew it wasn't actually the end. So it's yeah. like... Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> the show, the show's plot kind of gets a little bit more like serialized as it goes on too, right? Where there's sort of a bit more of an overarching thing that it leads mm-hmm. up to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's actually very interesting because, um, and from what I understand, and someone can correct me if they know better and I'm wrong, but from what I understand, when they first started making the show, they didn't know if it was going to last beyond half a year, beyond like 26 episodes. So if you actually sit down and watch, you know, the entire show, it'll feel like there's an arc that's ending like halfway through the show. It, it kind of feels like a false ending, like, oh, we did it. We saved everybody. We're done being pre-cure. And then the next episode is like, oh, just kidding. We're, there's like another yeah. kind of, you know, he came back. and. It's because it ended up being so successful that they were like, oh my god, we can like actually stretch this out for over a year. So it does kind of have that interesting like kind of a restart halfway through, which feels a little weird without the context. But um, yeah. Yeah, I don't actually know what the what the deal was behind the scenes on that, because typically the shows in that time slot usually ran for at least a year. But uh, I mean, I, I think there was a kind of a perceived risk with Pretty Cure, so that that would make sense if there was. That yeah, kind especially of... if their last show like went yeah. down the toilet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that that does make sense. I don't remember specifically all the plot details because I haven't seen the show since like it first came out. But um, I because I, I I know that there's like there's three sort of planes of existence, right? There's like the Garden of Light, which is where the 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 creatures and the pretty cure powers come from. And then there's the garden of rainbows, which is like earth, right? Like that's like, the, yeah. yeah, where, where exactly. we live. And yeah. then garden of rainbows it, is trapped in the middle between. And the then two. is, is it guard? It's garden. Yeah. Or it's like mid if we're talking like Thor yeah, right? terms, maybe. Yeah. Is it like, is it called the garden of darkness? It's the third one or. I believe it's just called the dark zone. The dark zone. Yeah. Dark it's, zone. yeah. It's the odd and that's where all the. Yeah. Who's coming. Then if I remember correctly, there's like three characters that like leave the dark zone and like end up on earth, like in the garden of rainbows. And there's like some subplot with them, like trying to like take over the dark zone or, or like fight against the dark zone. That's mainly in the second half. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what I found interesting in pretty cure is that, you know, as we pointed out, well, they resolve the, uh, the plot of the first half and then they essentially hit the reset button and then start almost, almost the same plot over again in the second half, but it's done in a more interesting way. The first half of Pretty Cure, I think it might be the most formulaic Magical Girl show I've watched. I haven't watched, honestly, like that many of them, but it's very straightforward. You have, you know, there's three generals, or four generals, and they're kind of going through each of them one at a time over the course of a few episodes. They each summon a monster in each episode, and then they just kind of keep progressing until they get to the Dark Lord in the end and then defeat him. But then, surprise, he's not dead. There are three new generals who, instead of going one at a time, they're all working together throughout the season. 
and you know it leads to that plot where they're trying to stage a coup and uh take down the the dark king essentially so you know same idea in that second half but it's changing it up a little bit doing things in a, a little more of a complicated way compared to the first half so the first Futari wa Pritikira, it very much feels like they're trying to find a footing of how to to structure the show most efficiently that's kind of the impression i got at least I think that makes right. a lot of sense as well, because it, it, there are certainly also a lot of artifacts in the first half of the series uh, of the fact that they didn't really have a full, like, understanding, say, of, like, what the cure's abilities are necessarily, yeah. or, like, how everything was going to proceed going forward. Like, there's, they show certain powers that never get used again, even though they probably would be pretty useful, honestly, just because they, not everything was set in stone at that point. Yeah, that, yeah, I, it's very, I, I think it is kind of very much, um, it's a little rough around the edges, and, um, certain things that come up are kind of like, you know, you don't really see them very often, or they're dropped. Like, for example, one of the earlier episodes, they actually have a move called, um, I believe it's called Pretty Cure Rainbow Therapy, where they could, like, purify someone, and it was like, the first time I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's where the cure in Pretty Cure comes from, because they actually have a cure move, but then they, like, never use it again, or they, like, use it, like, once. And um, the <laughs> cure part of Pretty Cure would never be yeah, relevant basically. again until healing good. Yep, and yeah. then, it, yeah, and then it, like... They're, they're not like, carrying big syringes yeah. around or anything like that. <laughs> no, so it, it, it just kind of, and, um... I think that's kind of part of the charm for me is that it is kind of rough and they're still kind mm -hmm. of trying to find their feet with it. But definitely, um, if you kind of go in for it looking for either like a really deep story or like something like really polished, you know, you're not really going to find that um, because they were kind of, I think they were still kind of trying to figure out, you know, well, we have our idea of let's make, you know, kind of a, a, a show where girls can, you know, fight Dragon Ball Z style. And we're still kind of trying to figure out, you know, mm. what we're doing with that. It's it's actually kind of interesting to compare to the later, uh, more modern seasons in that way. Yeah. You know what they did have nailed down from the start, though, was the characters, especially the two oh, yeah. core characters. <laughs> and that really is the, the appeal that made the show so, so big, just because, like, I said this in a, a video that I made a little while ago uh, about Pretty Cure, but really the fact that there are only two of them and they didn't add any more, like, until basically Max Hart. <laughs> um, <laughs> they had to be absolutely sure that these two characters who you were going to see for the whole show had to be compelling. They had to be watchable. And I feel like, like there's a lot of really good pre-cure series after this, but there, it seems like some characters, because the casts are larger, kind of get the short shrift because they're just there to kind of fill out the group and they don't get as many standout moments as they could. Whereas this, you see both main characters in pretty much every episode. Uh, they build off each other uh, in terms of like building their friendship and learning more about each other and learning more about themselves. Um, and you, you really Absolutely. feel that bond building throughout the series. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate that what they did is they actually 
I think they took some character tropes and kind of subverted them a little bit with the two main characters, Nagesa and Honoka, because I have introduced the show to many people because I don't shut up about it, and they eventually watch it because of me. <laughs> and usually, they'll one of the first things a lot of them will say is, you know, I went in and I thought this was going to be, you know, kind of a basic, oh, well, the, you know, you have the ganky pink girl and the, you know, kind of shy, like, you know, more elegant, uh, you know, whiter blue girl. And to an extent that's true but if you actually watch the show it's really interesting because Nagisa your main lead who is your sporty heroine is really kind of very grounded and down to earth almost to the point of pessimism which you don't really I feel like you don't see in a lot of you know especially the more modern precures where they tend to make the you know the main characters yeah. very bubbly very upbeat and Nagisa or Natalie is so much more she just feels more grounded she worries a lot you know the beginning of almost every episode she's like you know I can't believe this is happening that's literally her catchphrase Ari and I is this is impossible this cannot possibly be happening and Honoka is whereas even though she's like you know, her character is supposed to be, she's like a really smart scientist. She's so idealistic and dreamy. And it's almost like the reverse of the, you know, Kirk and Spock trope from Star Trek, where you have, you know, the scientist is the dreamy one. She's the idealist. She's the optimist. And your kind of sporty girl is the actually the one kind of holding her back almost. And I just, I love that dynamic. I feel like you don't really see that type of thing a lot. And that's, I think, one of the things that really draws me to Futariwa Precure more than the other seasons is because they do kind of, uh, I think, subvert uh, some common anime tropes in that way. Mm -hmm. And it's it's also interesting the fact that, like, this is, like you, you were saying, this is like the most formulaic magical girl you show you could ever imagine. And, and it's full of, like, all the tropes you would expect, all the frills, all the pink, all the monsters of the week, everything, floofles and rainbows and everything. Um, there's literally an attack called Rainbow Storm. <laughs> <laughs> but the two leads, while they are part of this like super feminine power duo, it it comes back it comes back to that ethos of girls standing on their own two feet, and their femininity is not what defines them. It is their their can do attitude, and also the fact that they have like fully like non feminine interests and personality traits as well. Like we have like a jock and a scientist, neither of which are thought to be traditionally feminine character tropes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really, it's just, I, I really just love how they did that. I, I think that's just the characters really, really, really make the show to me. Yeah. I was going to mm. say also just looking, looking at them from like a character design perspective. Um, there's something like unique about the way that they're designed. Cause I'm kind of, like as a writer and stuff like that, um, I'm into like the 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 design and and the creation of characters like as they stand. And again, like that picture I was showing, like I was talking about, where you see those two with all the other cures mixed in. Like they also stand out from a design perspective, not just like their color scheme and stuff like that, but they're almost like designed to be like a duo to stand together in the first place. Like that's why when you look at them with all the rest of them, those two also stand out as like those two are there together where everybody else, and again, because I don't know the other shows and stuff like that, but since they're larger groups and they all kind of, everything past those two have sort of the same kind of color design scheme and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's it, it, like you don't really see those two as individual. Like you see them together as as like a duo, as a team. And it seems like from the very design perspective, they're, they're designed to complement each other in that specific way that you don't see 
in the other uh, character designs, which is really unique and cool. Yeah. Yeah. And there's I, also I, the, sorry, you go ahead first, Mike. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I do love that. And you, you actually see that in a lot of like fan art where people will like, they'll have like all the lead cures in a lineup, but they can't really decide on a lead cure from Futariwa because they complement each other. So they're both there. <laughs> and I always just love that. It's like, they're a package deal. <laughs> I just think that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only other show that even kind of comes close is the only other duo show, which is uh pretty cure splash star. Um, but even in that case, um, I vague spoilers for that show, I guess there are other people who join their team later on in the show. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've, uh, Precure has kind of experimented with the, you know, the duo format, um, they did with, uh, Mahotsukai Pretty Cure a few years back, but again, that was also, you know, we'll add a, you know, a sixth ranger kind of. Yeah, they, they chickened yeah, out on that they one. Kinda... They, they did the two person duo format for that one, and it worked for a while, but they, they couldn't, they couldn't stay away yeah. from it. They had to add yep. a third ranger later on in the show. Yep. And that just kind of, I think that's just their thing now is I, I think they, uh, they, they've kind of made their move toward larger casts, which I think does work in, you know, a lot of situations. But for me, the, uh, just the original idea of two girls will always just be kind of yeah. special to me. Yeah. Yeah. Just in terms of maintaining interest, it, mm-hmm. it, I can see the logistics of it just because having more characters means having more avenues for coming up with weekly stories. Um, but it really does hamper the, like, the bond between each individual character and their friendship and whatnot. Maybe it's just the case of the fact that they nailed it the first time. So yeah, could yeah. improve. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the <laughs> basis of the success because I, you know, I guess there was just kind of a bit of a fatigue going in how they would handle these girls properties on the Sunday morning time slot that really sent them back to the, the drawing board just to figure out, you know, at the most fundamental level, what do we need to do to make a, a successful property that they own? Also, it's important to note that I, I think I think I think that Pretty Cure was made in um, partnership with with Nakayoshi Magazine because there's always a Pretty Cure manga spinoff in there, um, but it is owned wholly by Toei Animation, and they they obviously very much wanted to have their own franchise that they could have there. I think it's kind of understandable that it keeps kind of going into the direction of having a team or a Sentai set up because. This show airs back to back with Super Sentai and Common Rider in Japan, yeah. and they like yeah. there's a lot of crossover in the marketing of those shows in Japan as well. Like if you go to any Asian grocery store, just like in, even in Canada, look at like you know, you know often they're going to have like curry for kids, and you're going to have on one box you're going to have the current Super Sentai, you're going to have the current Common Rider on the other, you're going to have the current Pretty Cure on the next one. And they also usually have a, like a minion one too, but we don't need to talk about that. And it, it seems like it's kind of become like the the Barbie and Hot Wheels. Of yeah, I just yeah. <laughs> oh, they've actually had they've had crossovers too. Like yeah, yeah. like yeah, it's just it's really fun. Yeah, recently there was a video that uh, was produced, I think, for one of the big uh, Super Sentai crossover things that they did recently, where it didn't 
the story didn't cross over with Pretty Cure, but they had a special ending credit ending sequence credit where sequence. they had yeah, the CG that. models from Precure come and do a dance number yeah. with I, all the Sentai yeah, characters. It's important to note these theatrical movies that, you know, they're non-canon, as we, uh, we've we talked about. And when Toei does these movies, they like to cross Just over like things. Just like the Dragon Ball Z movies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Per- perfect. That's like, that's the perfect analogy. Because none of those Dragon Ball, the old Dragon Ball movies, the new ones are different. But the old ones don't fit into the continuity anymore. They're just released in the theaters along packaged with a bunch of other films. And it's just a standalone thing. The same thing with these Pretty Cure movies. Interesting. To, it is important to note, though, that these Pretty Cure movies are usually released as double features with Super Sentai movies as well. Mm-hmm. They usually air back-to-back in theaters, same audience for them. So, so I mean, there's like a lot an of crossover. film and then a live-action Sentai film? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. That's, so, that yeah, there's a lot of heavy crossover uh, between those and you know also it gives boys the perfect excuse to watch Pretty Cure because they can just say that they were waiting for <laughs> for Common Rider to come on right after too so yeah and I, I I like that they didn't really try to make that excuse for it for the first series like yeah. that they specifically said they wanted to make something that both girls and boys could enjoy and that ethos yeah, exactly. is on yeah. display yeah um I, I also said this in the video that I made uh last year um, but the specific episode that I looked at for that video uh, focused a lot on, like, in-universe fandom for the Pretty Cures, and they made sure to include both girls and boys in that audience in a very, in a very like, standout kind of way. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, like, it it's, I mean, it's getting better, uh, but I, I, I just, in, I don't mean to make this whatever, but, like, it just, it sucks to me that, like, Oh, you need an excuse to watch something like Pretty Cure. Like, I'm yeah, a 34 yeah. year old man, and like, I love Steven Universe, and yeah, that, sh- that yeah. show is not. Well, that show is kind of made for me in a way, like a little bit, but like, um, like I just, I don't know, man. I just hate the world how it's always like, oh, you have to, like, yeah. you know, not to like get and into like, gender roles and all that kind of thing, but it's like just. Just like what you like, and why do you have to like defend it and excuse well, I think it's it? like it's important that Pretty Cure, like from the ground up, was made to challenge that kind of mentality. Like it, it's yeah. it, it, it's quite the fight, and at the end of the day, marketing's gonna complicate things. But I, I think it's it's a really important component to to Pretty Cure, um, in it with like crossover appeal. And I know there's a whole there's a whole brony like element with with pretty cure in japan as well um <laughs> well you were yeah, saying that it's the, like they're as, um as big as like sonic the hedgehog over there right like it's up there with that what's it's huge yeah, yeah. It's, like, I, have, I have a sonic and knuckles the... tattoo on my arm and oh, nice. uh, <laughs> and i i would love to live in a world where i could have a pretty cure tattoo on my arm but that would be a world where like my the series went more in my care and like i had more of a part of it but um but i think it's really cool to hear about all this and how cool it is and just to know that like even though it didn't really go anywhere here that it's it's it reflecting on it now um not that i didn't feel this way before but like i don't know it's just really cool that i got to be some part of it apparently of the best part of that show so exactly and (laughs) and i do have to say like i i watched the dub when it came out and i listened i listened to everything that i that video games anime whatever like i'm a dub person and i was before i got into it too it's it's like there's a little bit of like well you know i'm in the industry but um but i just prefer listening to things in my own language in my own language because it's easier to absorb stuff for me and dubs have gotten a lot better over the last like i i I didn't really watch much stuff back when dubs were notoriously bad but um and i revisited a little bit too before this podcast and i gotta say like it has nothing to do with me because i 
still find it because that was one of my first shows and I still kind of find it sort of weird listening to myself in the show but like I feel like the dub for Pretty Cure is like it's awesome like it is a good dub it's, it's so great. good I really like it, it is yeah. anyway uh, yeah sorry I guess this is this where we transfer into talking about the dub itself we absolutely <laughs> yeah so um when I watch I watched the series specifically to prepare for the podcast because I only seen a few random episodes on YTV before um so it's important to note this dub was produced by Toei uh, directly, they didn't sub sublicense it to like Deke or another company like that. Um, and it was sent, of course, to Blue Water in in Calgary, uh, where that's where the actors were located. Ha- however, the director Carl Willems uh, is based in Vancouver. He's, you know, he's directed most of your favorite ocean dubs. Um, he he was he was directing this, and uh, so Will, how how did are you able to? I know you can't talk too much about the production, but can you can you just comment on how that kind of worked uh, in this context with? this show or possibly other shows that kind of, kind of went that way. Uh, yeah. I mean, I worked with Carl on, uh, on a few different shows. Uh, Carl, Carl's a great director. Um, I always loved working with him. Um, I never worked whenever I did work with him. It was always when I was in either, uh, Calgary or Edmonton. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what programs and stuff were used or whatever, but like I, when I was in the booth in the studio, um, there would be like the engineer on the other side of the glass and, uh, then Carl would be patched in and he would direct me, you know, directly over, um, headphones, uh, while we were doing, doing the recordings and, uh, yeah, it was a pretty smooth process. And even though it was all remotely directed, um, it, it never really felt that way. Um, cause it was all like, you know, one-to-one directly patched in and uh and it was a pretty cool process the it wasn't really any different than working with any other director in the booth aside from the fact that like i could only hear him and not see him but there's a lot of productions even when it is done uh in this in the same building where uh the booth will be isolated and i won't see whoever's uh you know directing anyway so and important to note this was 11 years ago and the sort of remote uh, collaboration between like the Ocean Studios and Blue Water. It's only, uh, it's it's only gone more in that direction since. So it's it's neat to hear that it was such a smooth process even back then. When I, I think the, the the remote approach was probably a kind of a newer thing, as well. Yeah, and I mean um, we didn't even have a pandemic back then, so like we, <laughs> you know, we, just, we didn't have to. Be. Not to date now. I've just dated this episode for you, but no, no. Hey-o. <laughs> We have, but uh, every podcast I've ever listened to in the last six months, you know, has to talk, has to date it a little bit because, you know, it is sort of yeah. a giant piece of our <laughs> uh, shared history. So for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I um, wish someone would pretty cure this uh... plague. <laughs> yes. OK. Yeah. I had to get uh, that out of my system. That's OK. Um, yeah. Also, script adaptation was of my Paul Baldwin and Michelle Clough also based in Vancouver. So again, very much a kind of a collaborative production between both of those studios. Um, so it's worth noting that as a localization, the Pretty Cure dub is incredibly faithful to the original. I actually want the version I watched of this. Um, I don't usually uh, advocate piracy on this show, but come on, we're talking about Pretty Cure here. <laughs> and uh, pi- piracy has been crucial to following it for How many, years. How else do you years. think the Western fandom for Pretty yeah. Cure has yeah. survived? <laughs> um, I actually watched What's Bilingual... piracy? I've never heard of this. <laughs> um, so I actually watched Bilingual DVD rips. They take the Japanese DVD and they just make two audio tracks. You have the Japanese audio track and you have the English audio track on another 
level. Uh, that only works if the dub doesn't remove any footage and it's just one-to-one. This dub is almost one-to-one with the original. You can take that dub, just paste it right on the DVD from Japan, and it fits almost perfectly. Um, I've watched an episode so, that way, and yeah, I didn't. It like it, it it's completely seamless. Perfect, so. Yeah, the uh, the, of course the my major... name doesn't show up in the credits of that version, but whatever. yeah. Well, <laughs> it's all in Japanese anyway, so no one's gonna. Yeah, and all the rips floating around are uh, online are taken from YTV broadcast. Uh, I don't. I, I think there's maybe a couple clips taken from the Pop Girl broadcast in the UK. But almost all, all the rips are straight from YTV, so if they ever skip anything like a, a next episode preview, which they, you know, inconsistently do sometimes, that that's basically lost forever. And uh, I will say I did identify in YTV's broadcast there was one edit in the series. Um, it was a scene in episode 29 when uh, Natalie is trying to wave down a car. Uh, I noticed when I was watching the bilingual rip that it suddenly turned to Japanese for like two seconds. And I suspect that this cut was made by YTV because they didn't like the idea of a kid waving down a random car uh, to mm-hmm. come help them. And there was a bad guy in that car as it turned out. So maybe, I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> it seems pretty tame to me, but who knows? Interesting. That would be the cut. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, YTV made a fair number of edits to shows in Bionics. They were always really weirdly inconsistent uh, and, and sloppy. Uh, it was very rare for them to make any kind of change to shows that are targeted to younger audiences, though, because I think, you know, generally when you get some stuff, content for a younger audience, you're just going to assume it's okay and, th- and throw it on, and it almost always is. Um, but yeah, I- I'm I'm pretty confident that it seemed like a YTV cut when I when I went through it. In retrospect, it's very disappointing that they did that because that broadcast is the only version of this dub available anywhere. And that that little clip is like gone forever, and that one cut kind of uh, it, it's the one blemish on these uh, these bilingual rips. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that that's. Yeah. But apart from that one thing, it's uh, it's it's almost exactly the same. They also remove vocal songs uh, for for the insert songs. There's a few of those throughout the show. Um, although the lyrics are removed, but the background music is still the same. And of course, they change the opening theme as well. Uh, I know that there's some various opinions on it. The the new opening they recorded is completely different from the opening in the Japanese version. I know a lot of people like the the dub opening. I am really not a fan, especially since I watched <laughs> the version I watched had the Japanese music uh, in intact. What well, did you guys have an opinion on the the dub opening? No, you're 100% in the right. The, yeah. <laughs> the, the original opening is iconic, and every other dub localization of the series in other countries has used a version of that opening. I believe yes. the English dub is the only one that doesn't, and it's worse off for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting to me because, I mean, I think that the the, the uh, opening song um, is a banger, and most mm-hmm. people I've talked to agree, and I know a lot of Precure fans online from other countries that got a dub, like, you know, Germany or Italy, they got their own um, dub of that song with just the same melody, everything they just, you know, translated the lyrics and they all love the opening too. Like everybody in every language loves this opening, but for some reason for this dub, they're just like, no, we're going to, we're going to throw that away and yeah, <laughs> bring I in mean, another I, one. I'm not going to comment on, <laughs> oh, not that I could anyway, about 
anything about why that would be or whatever, but I will just say like from just a general like perspective um, as like somebody who watches stuff and a fan of, of things and other anime and stuff like that. Like I agree the opening uh, theme, the Japanese original is uh, yeah, it, it slaps man. And honest and the, the, the closing credits theme, like not even like the theme's cool too, but I love the little animation of them. It's just so weird and wacky in Japanese of, of all the people just like, <laughs> um, you know, marching in front of like the classroom setting. Um, mm -hmm. Not, you know, I also particularly like the fact that my character leads one of those lines, but uh, yeah, yeah. which would make me yeah, think yeah, that he's yeah. way more important to the show than he is, but he's, he's, he's not. Um, I mean, but, he's technically in every episode in that sense. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I was looking at, I was just looking on, on my credits on IMDb, like, cause I don't put that stuff there. I don't know who puts that stuff there. Um, obviously production people or whatever but um and i know that it's not always super accurate but i was noticing for my credit um for sean ferguson the english version of that character it, it lists me on four episodes but i'm pretty certain i was in a lot more than four episodes oh for sure yeah, oh definitely oh, yeah. 56 definitely, yeah. episode run but yeah it, it, it may be i don't know what that that is or anyway but um and obviously i did like incidental characters here and there too i remember one character i did um who was I, in the English, I think he was called Mario Piccolini, and he was like, um, uh, he was oh, the, yeah, I think yeah. he was the character who, he was the who, painter, right? yeah, yeah. And, oh, I think I watched that episode. When yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the, the painter, original, who the, yeah, the one the girl in the class is obsessed with him, and yeah, yeah and yeah. he was a, the shooting star, and the painter, or whatever, was actually uh, Meppel or Mipple or whatever, coming yeah. down and hitting him in the yeah. face with it, and that I remember because <laughs> I enjoyed doing the recording for that, um, doing all the like. Ah, 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 kind of sounds um i don't know if i spiked <laughs> that or not i actually have that in in my animation demo um for for stuff that i've been in but um but anyway so i did like little characters and stuff like that and like and background stuff but um but yeah the the opening and closing themes i having said that like um i don't i don't dislike the english um opening theme i think it's a i think it's a, a perfectly serviceable and good theme and i think it's cool in its own right and i also like the way the credit version just does a an instrumental version of of that but mm. i mean i do and like if you look at like dragon ball um z and super uh when they came out with kai and then super um like if you look at the original dragon ball z um based on whether you're talking about Canada or uh, America, because obviously there was two different dubs. Um, the the original, like, Japanese theme is so much better, and I love the way nowadays, like, I think if Pretty Cure came out now, I think they would they would do it, because it's, like, a different uh, mindset now. Yeah. But now, pretty much any anime that comes out will be either either an, an English lyrical adaptation of the original theme, or a lot of times they'll just keep the original Japanese theme with the Japanese lyrics as well. Yeah, because they know that kids know what anime is now. <laughs> like, technically, they even kind of knew in 2008, 2009. They'd, like, Inuyasha came out before then. But I will say, in one case, if you look at, like, Pokemon, which was obviously done um, by four kids, and, and it's very well known that they did that adaptation in, the in, in like, the intent of this is not a, an anime. They tried to make it seem like this is an American cartoon. Like that was their intent behind it. And everybody loves the Pokemon anime. And I think a lot of people, um, like the original dub, the original four kids with the original actors, I think in a lot of cases, same with Dragon Ball Z, where in a lot of cases, the dub is actually preferred over the Japanese original for most people anyway. Um, but that is one case where 
the English American theme, I know it has nothing to do with Pretty Cure, but the English American theme to the original Pokemon is far superior than the Japanese original mm-hmm. theme, which is cool too. I like the Japanese original theme, but you know, so every now and then they do hit it out of the park with a with a localized American theme, but yeah, uh, for, yeah, for sure. It, but in 2009, even then, it was unusual uh, to to replace a theme, or it, it would not have been unusual to maintain like the original Japanese theme or do just an English version of the Japanese theme. Um, and given the way everything else was handled in the dub, I'm kind of surprised that they went that route. I can't even begin to speculate on why. I will point out, though, that in there's one episode in the show where the ending theme plays a role in the plot. And mm-hmm. watching that episode, it's episode 44, uh, I think is what I have in my notes, um, you can tell that they actually did dub a version of the ending theme because uh, it's yeah. u- it's used in there. You you only hear it playing through a tinny radio uh, for a small portion of it, so you don't even get to hear the whole thing. But it's they you, they play enough of it that you know that a, an actual an actual adaptation of that song was done. It had to have been done to do of that. The closing theme or the of the, clo- of the closing the closing theme. theme. And uh, and yeah, and I've found the um the full translated lyrics to it online, and it's great. It's a it's fantastic a really translation. Good translation, it. it's so yeah. well done. Yeah. And so it that kind of also shocks me further that they didn't try the opening theme because I was like, clearly whoever was translating that ending theme was great. You yeah. Know, it's just kind of I don't yeah. know why they didn't try the. Well, opening I want to live then. in the alternate universe now where we got not not only just for the theme, but where we got them marching around in front of the chalkboard. Yeah. I, yeah. I, love, I love that. And Yeah, although man, that if, might have been I, covered by uh, YTV iDance and whatnot anyway. True, but if I could have a, if I could have my name on that scene, like my name scrolling by <laughs> on that scene, that would be, that would be super cool. <laughs> it does make me wonder if they dubbed a version of the opening as well and just wasn't used. I'm kind of hoping maybe one day Toei will loosen up and like let Discotech put this series out and turns out that those recordings are still sitting somewhere and they can they can muck the whole thing together on a on a on a dvd or blu-ray i think that would be very cool but it's extremely unlikely unfortunately i, I would, I would I love really to own a like, blu-ray set of this series oh, yeah i would sell my soul for like a blu-ray with all new you know subtitles and you know it would just like i would immediately that would be like a day one pre-order like yeah. But because mm-hmm. if right now, if you want to legally watch Futariwa Pretty Cure, it's on Crunchyroll. And for some reason, it looks like a VHS rip. Yeah. Is <laughs> and, it the dub or, is, the it or is it just subbed? Yeah. Is and it it's just, just subbed. subbed. Oh. And it's not even a good sub job for some reason. It's just like, just throwing it out there. The fan subs are better <laughs> if you're going to watch it subbed. And so it's just really weird to me and so that would be like that's my pipe dream for the series is that we get like a dvd or or at least a better version let me tell you as as a, as a voice actor it's disappointing that i can't own like a dvd or blu-ray set of everything that i've been in like like i i own yeah. one dvd set of a show that i've been in the first show i was in and that's the original hunter hunter not the new modern one but mm-hmm. well it's not even that modern now but like the original one from like 1999 that we did in like 2007 i think um and i do own that on like a dvd box set which is really cool but none of the other shows i do have a toy of my character from scan to go but again like so many of these shows that just didn't well, I guess that happens to a lot of anime. They just, there's just no like release for them outside of the initial broadcast, and it's sad. But mm-hmm. it seems to happen. I don't know. It happens to Canadian dubs like disproportionately too. I find, and, but, and also specifically to the kid like specific ones yeah, as well. Yeah. 
So again, in terms of localization, what I found really kind of peculiar uh, about the dub is that um, it never in any way denies or undermines the fact that the show is set in Japan. Um, but it always, every single time they have a chance of openly acknowledging it, it always just falls short of explicitly stating that this show is set in Japan. I don't know if it was a choice or it was like Toei telling them, you can't set this in Japan, but they just still brought it as close as they could um, without acknowledging it. I I found that interesting. Uh, and you, you can mm, consistently They sure are some good that. donuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the food, oh God, the food localization is honestly hilarious in this show. Do they do that? Do they do the whole like rice balls, but call it donuts? Literally the, do- not rice balls, but okonomiyaki. <laughs> Takoyaki, they yeah. have decided, is, is now Well, donuts. that looks a little <laughs> bit more like donuts than the friggin' rice balls from Pokemon. Right? <laughs> they like, do. It's, you, you can get kind of looks like Timbits, right? So Yeah, I, I think Fritter would have been a better uh, they better should, Since it's yeah. a Canadian like show, a they should have just yeah. called them Timbits. Yeah. Um, no, someone on <laughs> no, my Twitter timeline actually brought that up the other day, and, and they posted that. Uh, they posted that clip of him calling it donuts yeah. and said they, they dubbed it in, in Canada. Why didn't they call it Tindits? Well, I, I mean, honestly, that's, I can give a little bit of insight there um, it, with most uh, production and stuff that I've been – well, pretty much everything. Like if we're if – we're, even though we're Canadian, we're, they're Canadian productions, we're always doing it for a general North American slash American audience. So um, mm-hmm. you try not to have – like you may have – like honestly – the years of being in the booth and doing stuff have actually trained me to sound way more like an American than a Canadian anyway. Um, and I've noticed little things like if you've ever, like I've said, sorry, a few times on this podcast already. And I definitely don't say it. Sorry. Like a, like an, like a Canadian would. And I hear it every time a Canadian says like, sorry, instead of sorry. Um, and things like where we say out, uh, well, not we, where Americans say out, including me instead of like out and stuff like that. So, um, so the dub, a lot of uh, that kind of stuff is specifically like it's pretty much just a an industry standard um, to just do it in a in an American like a standard American pronunciation way. Um, you're you're, yeah. you're forced I'm... to become aware of these things that you know the rest of us would never really think about in the way we speak. Yeah, I mean honestly, yeah. I like it's just all that stuff has just become the way I talk. Like I don't even think about it. Like I just I've had a lot of my American friends and stuff are like, "Whoa, you're Canadian?" That's this I've had a lot of people say that I don't <laughs> sound like a typical Canadian. So Yeah. I do I do spell theater R E instead of E R. But Yes, I'm very particular about keeping the R E's. Yeah. <laughs> but I do not put U's in like color and armor and stuff, no way. Yeah. But that was but... that was bef- that has nothing to do with acting. I just yeah. Wasted but the, yeah, anyway, the the food localizations are really funny. Um, interestingly, in in a later episode, they call Yukata's summer kimonos, which is not localizing it in any way, but it's calling it something that I guess they thought kids would um, grasp better. I, I don't understand that decision. Yeah, like uh, kids know what a kimono is, but maybe they don't know what a yukata is. Yeah, like maybe they took some kind of survey or something to. To come to that again, I don't know how much of this was Toei and how much of this was uh, Blue Water. I my given that we 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 talked a little about um, Glitter Force, which is uh, the Saban produced localization for some of the later Pretty Cure shows that you can find on Netflix. Uh, they outright removed any episode any episodes that had um, like Japanese cultural elements that they couldn't uh, they couldn't easily 
erase. Again, I don't know how much of that would have been would have been Saban or, or Toei's call, but you know, it's uh, it, it's interesting that there, there's that contrast in the um, the localization process for how how Japanese they're allowed to to make it. Um, there is one point, there is one episode of the dub that I think uh, kind of goes too far in in erasing Ooh, or obscuring that, yeah, <laughs> and that's um, yeah. uh, Honoko's grandmother uh, talk, basically talking about growing up during World War II, and you have this very obvious uh, post-bombing World War II footage that is like shamelessly grifting uh, Grave of the Fireflies in its aesthetic. Uh, it is so incredibly obvious, supposed to obviously supposed to be this this um, this world this World War II setting, uh, and they change it to be the aftermath of an earthquake. Um, and I uh, I I guess I can kind of understand why they they went with that change, but I uh, I I think that was a bad decision. I I don't yeah. think they should have they should have localized it that way. I I don't think it would have been that big a deal. <laughs> to keep it the way it was. I don't know whose call it was, whether it was Toei or the the scriptwriters or the director or what, but yeah, that was that was one point where I think they they made the wrong choice for sure. Yeah. But, it it might have yeah. been like a rock and a hard place kind of situation if it was from the studio like you can't acknowledge that this is Japan, but they're also not going to cut anything, but there's also this very like Japanese imagery that they can't work like they can't avoid. So I I understand why they would choose that but it's still like oh it still like feels bad yeah feels bad man yeah and and especially because i've i've seen the original the um the japanese version of this show multiple times and um going into this podcast i picked like maybe like 10 or so episodes that i watched the dub of and that was one of them and i also had the version where you could like flip the audio uh track at will and turn on the subtitles when you wanted and so i I was comparing the subtitles on that scene and they definitely, it definitely changed the mood of that scene. And especially because she gets to the top of the hill because the story is, um, her father used to take her to the top of this hill to look over the city and see the beautiful sights. And so after this, um, bombing or in the dub, it was an earthquake. She takes these other kids to the top of the hill and just sees rubble. And it's really interesting because in the dub, they change it to her being like shocked, like, Mm -hmm. you know, almost like, you know, what happened? I can't believe this. Whereas in the, in the original, the subtitles, she, she looks over and she kind of has this, I don't know what I expected moment where she says liar under her breath as though like, you know, cause her dad told her you'll always see something beautiful. And she looked over and just saw the city flattened and she was, and she just said liar. And that was all she said. And it was just a really powerful moment in the original that by kind of changing that, it really did kind of change the tone of, uh, of that whole kind of that story that she was telling, which I found really interesting. I mean, com- compared to say the Glitter Force approach, which definitely, definitely oh, would yeah. have just cut that episode entirely. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I th- it, it 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 not it wasn't just a localization choice. It it completely changed the intention of that whole scene. So that was that really didn't work. That's I think that's definitely the low point of uh mm. of this adaptation. Um, but it, it, again, it's really just that one scene that I thought was handled badly. I can't say that about really anything else, uh, in the series. There's very, very rare that, and I was watching, you know, for the record, I was watching this 
English dub with the subtitles on, uh, just because I wanted to get a comparison. It was incredibly rare that the uh, the script would ever go seriously off track from what was happening in the uh, the Japanese. I know in in episode three there was a scene where these uh, these guys encounter Hannah and Natalie, and they're very clearly trying to hit on them. Uh, and the dub changes that to just generically picking on them in a way that doesn't make any sense and doesn't match the visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really the only other scene I noticed where uh, it, w- it was kind of yeah. going against what was happening in the original. But uh, yeah, well, there's also the, the the fact that they whenever in like the first episode and uh, and afterwards when they mention like. Honoka is popular with the boys, but Nagisa's popular with the girls. They definitely <laughs> didn't say that in the dub. They toned that down quite a bit. They, <laughs> they, I, I, I feel like, uh, I kind of feel like the original, um, Futariwa Pretty Cure was kind of designed with a sort of, if you want to wear Yuri goggles, you can kind of in mind. And they had Fuji P in there for plausible deniability, but they definitely kind of, when they, uh, we're all when very they grateful for the West, that Fuji like, P no, exists anyway. We are, we are definitely, this is a very heterosexual show. They're, and, you know, they're, it's they're, kind of, they're best friends, Pike. I don't know what you're talking best about. Friends. Best friends. <laughs> Doesn't matter that they have an official set of, uh, figures where they're both in wedding dresses together. And clearly which getting I, married, which I own because I'm a complete piece of shipping trash. The Romeo and Juliet uh, episode was pretty much unscathed in terms of of, of that. That's though. true. Yeah. That that was very that yeah, and they they had a lot of scenes like that, which I actually thought the dub actually made stronger. And one of the um, one of the examples of that I can think of is in episode 42, which is my favorite Precure episode of all time, which is the one where they're separated. Yeah, and, that was a really um, good one, yeah. They have to find, or uh, specifically um, Nagisa or Natalie has to find Honoka or Hannah, and there's a there's just a part in there where I think the dub actually did it better, which is they were playing... Um, Nagisa had kind of given up and she and Meppel were playing uh, Shiritori or the word game where they're, you know, naming words and then using the last letter to come up with a new word. And in the original, they were just kind of naming random words until Nagisa thought of the word Honoka. And in the dub, they changed it so all the words that Nagisa or Natalie was saying were related to her feelings to Hannah about how she was smart, how mm-hmm. she was sensitive, how she was intelligent, how she was her friend. And that just, I was not expecting it, but it really hit me because I was like, they literally took my favorite episode of anime ever and somehow made it better. I was really impressed. Yeah. They did a really <laughs> good job indeed. Yeah. 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 If, if I'm saying the dub is better in Fataria while pretty cure, that is, that is very high praise because I love the original. <laughs> What did you think of uh, of Fujimura in the dub of Ferguson? I'm, <laughs> no. just, I'm just asking for a friend. Absolutely great. Ten out of ten. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Great. 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 Almost. No, honestly, <laughs> like I don't, I don't know. I've never really gotten any. No. Fi- I mean, I know, I know he's not a, an overly important character to the show, although he is like he is overly important to Hannah. So, or sorry, to Natalie. I mean. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know how it how it like I mean whatever is not what this is about but I'm just curious because I've no. really gotten a lot of feedback especially <laughs> no, from like honestly. an adult perspective like if because when I hear when I hear myself especially since it's one of my earlier works like I'm pretty good at hearing myself and stuff now and I'm not saying that I think I did a bad job or anything but to me I just have this memory and I think it flashes back because it was the first 
um, anime on like network TV that I ever heard myself in. Um, it wasn't the first one I ever did, but it was the first one that aired on TV that I heard myself in. And I had this back in 2009 when I heard it. It was like this weird thing in my head where I would listen to the whole episode. Everybody else sounded so great and professional, just like any other thing I would watch. And then it came to me and it felt like in my own head, like the whole thing just broke down at that point and became like this low budget thing where I just heard myself speaking (laughs) out of it and it didn't fit with everything else. And I feel like just having that memory of it for that particular show and that particular character just always flashes that back to me. But I assume for everybody else, it just sounds like yeah, no, it belongs, it's, it's, you pretty much catch the exact vibe of the original character. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will be very honest. The original character was not that compelling. He was put in basically, like I said earlier, to be plausible deniability. So you could say, oh no, it's obviously the two. It's not a show about two girls holding hands because one of them has a crush on this, you know, guy. And so I actually genuinely think that, you know, doing doing that character would have been difficult. And I'm not a voice actor, but I mean, if they told me to do, you know, Fuji P, I would have been like, but he has like no personality, <laughs> like, like no offense, but yeah, I would have and- found that difficult. And I so I genuinely think from what I saw, I, I think he did a good job of trying to, you know, kind of take this character that really was not like, not really a major character and, um, and try and make him kind of a sympathetic character. I, I yeah, there's a there's a yeah. sweetness to the way that you played him, yeah, honestly. Yeah, for and, sure. and it really like, comes across, especially in the Christmas episode. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. I feel like you probably didn't have a whole lot to work with there, and um, and I think you did good. So. <laughs> Thank you. I get well, that, I got a lot of comments back then that that was like the first character that I played in something that were like, wow, that doesn't even sound like you. So. Um, <laughs> I don't know, because I guess I don't typically sound like a 16 year old kid. So. Uh, but I can still do it as a 34 year old man. And that, that is important for the <laughs> resume. So a couple other uh, things I just wanted to, that, that stood out to me in the dub that I thought were, were kind of funny. Um, going back to the whole donuts thing, uh, th- they added, so they really seem to have a lot of fun with Regina, who is one of the dark zone generals in the, in the second half of the series. And like the whole gag with her is that she's usually very quiet and demure, but then when people press her, she just kind of starts yelling uh, what she, what she really thinks. And they, they gave her like this obsession with donuts uh, as, as if to take the, the whole uh, Takoyaki donut thing even further. Cause there's this scene where uh, I, 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 Alex is the name of the girl who, who runs the Takoyaki stand in the dub. I can't remember what her name is in the Japanese version. Akane. 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 Akane slash Alex. Uh, where, yeah. Uh, the 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 two basically just have a, have a short exchange, and apparently she buy she eats some of some of the donuts, and she they add dialogue later where she's telling uh, the the others about the donuts and how they're so great, uh, and it, it it really seemed like the dub played with her a little bit. Uh, they they made her say some some really weird things <laughs> at some point, but it, it was pretty funny. I thought that was yeah. a that was a weird touch. Um, I, I was, yeah, I saw that too in one of the episodes where she was just, uh, she kind of started screaming about donuts. And yeah, I was yeah. just like, I don't know where this came from. It wasn't in the original. It, it was not, no. <laughs> um, the, the other, uh, probably the other thing that made the biggest impression on me about the dub um, that I found, like, as far as, like, things I thought were kind of unusual choices, maybe, was in the episode with the dog Chutaro kind yes. of adopting a puppy. I was going to mention they that one added, next. Yes, they added so they much did, extra yeah. dialogue and they kind of changed Chutaro from being like 
like he wasn't really like serious in the original but he was a little more like he was like the cool older dog and he yeah. kind of turned they kind of turned him into comic relief gave him like twice as many lines and another interesting they thing made him was very that, sassy yeah. they made him very sassy and another interesting thing was it wasn't even just the dog that whole episode there were like flashbacks to previous episodes that in the original were completely silent that suddenly had like a voiceover of Natalie like kind of explaining you know what had happened which yeah yeah again I found kind of an interesting choice and I know that's kind of a you know I think that's kind of a western dub thing is they like to throw mm-hmm. in extra dialogue so it might have just been that but I just found that very that interesting yeah. that that as long as there's that no lip episode flaps, it's in fair game oh yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> it was a flashback no one was talking they could have her say like a million things you know it's, it's <laughs> but, not as bad yeah, as like it, like uh 90s Spider-Man cartoon where everyone has to be talking oh, yeah. at all times. It can't stop. Yeah, but, it, it was really bad in Card Captors as yeah. well. They added so yeah. much extra dialogue, wall-to-wall dialogue for Card Captors. But it was just, it just that in episode in particular because a lot of the other episodes I'd seen were, um, as we've said, were very faithful. I'm quite impressed. And then suddenly, for some reason, that episode, they were like, we're going to make the dog talk twice as much, and the silent uh, flashbacks are suddenly going to have all this, you know, exposition. And it was just, it kind of seemed to me like it was like, oh, for this episode, they just kind of went all out with the with the voice work, I guess. Yeah. I, just I wonder if it was just, like, wondering if the kids would be confused when the dog started talking midway through the episode or something. Like... Mm. That seemed to be the only reason for it. I mean, that was kind of a weird directorial choice to begin with, Yeah. uh, to be fair. Um, It kind of was. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, in the original version, to have have him start talking halfway through. So, um, also... Yeah, uh, like, it it did come kind of out of nowhere, so I can can understand that choice, but it's still, like, the the choices for the extra dialogue that they did add are certainly not quite the feel of the original. It was like, oh, the dog has no lip flaps. Finally, we're free. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> almost. They also give Chutaro a line in another episode too, just out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> I, I can't remember which episode it is, but he just they they just you know he 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 just barks out a line, and I'm just like, what? And then it's that that's <laughs> all you hear of that. But it was a. Uh... If anything, that would be more confusing for kids. Yeah. Yeah. They uh they obviously had fun with that, so I can yeah. res- I can respect. No, that. it does. It does. It, it, it is still fun. fun. Yeah, I didn't think it was, like, bad. I just thought it was it was kind of funny. It was like, suddenly here's this episode where there's, like, twice as much dialogue. And I was yeah. like, yeah, it worked. It, it was just kind of funny to me. I wasn't really expecting it. <laughs> but uh, I, th- I think as we've all made pretty clear, uh, I, th- I think we all really like this dub. I think it's a strong, uh, a strong dub overall. I'm really glad I watched the whole thing. And I wasn't expecting to want more. When I uh, when I finished it, but I gotta say I'm really disappointed that there's no dub for Max Hart, which is the direct sequel to this series. I I really wish they had just pushed that through. I kind of wish, as unlikely as it is, that they they'd go back and 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 actually uh, dub it again, or, or rather um, get get a, at least some of the some of the cast back to uh, to do it because Toei still sends things to to Blue Water now and again. So mm. I mean it's I guess it's not completely impossible just highly unlikely um yeah well who knows in this post legal pretty cure (laughs) stream world that's true all of a sudden we're getting yeah legal streaming pretty cure glitter (laughs) glitter force is dead uh i mean i know that people have been declaring glitter force dead since before it even started but (laughs) it actually is dead now Uh, i think toei is is trying more different localization approaches for the franchise now so who knows maybe maybe they'll make this dub available maybe they'll go back and dub more 
I, I for the most part I like I think I would just really want to hear the two principal characters or the two principal actors back uh because they give this really strong performances very distinct performances Rocio um, and Michelle are are they they nail it like yeah. they 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 kill like, it they crush it in this like 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 Rocio Barahona who does Natalie she is so distinct with She's the my voice favorite that she part of the whole character. show honestly oh, man. yeah it was, I was really, really, I, I feel like, not to sound like, like an elitist, but like going in, I was like, I was kind of dubious because these are like my two favorite characters in anything. Like, I, and I was so, I love their original Japanese voices so much and I really wasn't sure going in. And for a few minutes I was like, eh, but then they grew on me so fast. And yeah. now I'm just like, they actually did a really fantastic job and I'm really impressed. Yeah, and honestly, me not having as much of an attachment to the original Japanese when I started watching it, um, I was watching both the sub and the dub for comparison's sake for that video that I made, um, and I ended up wanting to watch the dub more as I watched more episodes, Like, and I had the sub on for less and less time. <laughs> yeah, they just really nailed the characters, I and mm. I'm... It was a really overall. I would say it was a, it was a really good dub, and and obviously it had a few missteps, which we've discussed, like the uh, like the war episode. But I think overall it was very faithful, and I I really do think the voice actors did a great job with it. Mm-hmm. If they could bring it back with at, just at least those two leads, I think it would be great. Maybe I wouldn't be as enthu- I wouldn't be as enthusiastic if they weren't both yeah. there maybe I think, maybe because... that one guy who did for yeah yeah, yeah you know yeah yeah <laughs> I, get a hold of well, I actually i looked up uh what well, like way back when we were doing it, i looked up like the stuff that goes forward and so there's the max Hart series and i believe there's uh, uh one or maybe two films as well that happen in yeah. in, in, in that yeah. canonicity and I, mm-hmm. I think in one of the films there's like a character that is clearly based like it's not Ferguson or Fujimura, but it's like um, like a fantasy like yeah. prince version of him, <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I hope I get to to play this character, but but it, it has cool. not has yeah. not yet happened, but yeah, um, but uh, this this role and this show will always like, even though it didn't really go anywhere, maybe someday it will, but um, it uh, it'll always be super special and important to me. So and having this discussion and being part of this discussion uh, just reinforces that. So, um, yeah, I think it's really cool that there were at least some people in Canada who who really cared about this show and that uh, even on like the broader like global scale and in Japan and stuff like this particular version of the show is considered one of the fan favorites. And so, like I said, just for me, it's really cool to know that I got to be even a small part of that in some way. So, yeah. Yeah. And oh, yeah. certainly there are people who aren't even Pretty Cure fans who or like the Japanese Pretty Cure fans, I mean, uh, who watched that original dub on YTV. Yeah. And like I was looking through comments on like the the dub opening theme from people saying like, oh, I remember this. Oh, this was my first anime. Oh, this is so nostalgic. So it yeah. definitely did reach some kids. Yeah. I, uh, oh, absolutely. And I'm I'm uh, pretty active with the uh, Pretty Cure fandom on uh, Twitter and I see it all the time is um you know I'll post pictures of my merch or I'll you know I'll retweet someone's fan art or whatever and there is always in the comments there are people saying oh I love this show when I was a kid I totally forgot about it and it's just it's it's wild to me because I didn't have that when I was a kid that it's like oh yeah there were people who actually had that as a kid that's so cool and they're they're still out there and they still have such positive memories of this show and it's really mm. neat to me 
I yeah. will say one thing real quick. If 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 either of you know or anybody in the communities know or wherever you post this podcast, because I assume this podcast will be posted in all of those places that you were mentioning. So if anybody, if you know or you know anybody or anybody listening to this knows, and I'm sure it, it probably doesn't, it won't exist officially. But if anybody like on Etsy or anything like that, if there's ever been official or even unofficial, like a, a figure, like a, a toy or a character of of uh, Sh- uh, Shogo Fujimura or Sean Ferguson has ever existed, please somebody let me know about it because I want I want to own it. So <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it does. There is they have a lot of Precure merch of really obscure like side characters, so <laughs> that only show up in one episode. So I, I'm sure yeah. it exists somewhere. At you the very least, he's got to have his own like Prism Connect card or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's got something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just in re- in regards to the reception that it had on on YTV, this this is something I kind of wanted to to get a feel for before I recorded the episode because, as I kind of touched on before, this show moved around a lot on YTV. They they always put it in time slots that were for children or like quote unquote for girls or things slots where girls would watch more frequently, um, and. They had become very fickle about that kind of thing by, like, 2009, so I think it started airing, like, Sunday mornings, it moved to weekday mornings, then it moved to, again, the the quote-unquote Sailor Moon time slot, weekdays at 3.30pm, and it went on very long hiatuses a lot of the time, too, and then they actually wound up burning off the final five episodes in a marathon on uh, July 10th, 2010. Uh, so the show debuted March 6th, 2009. So this was dragged out for actually quite a long time. You know, I, I get the impression that they certainly weren't setting this up for failure. I think they really wanted it to to succeed and be a thing. Um, but, I mean, the, the cold hard truth is it seems it just wasn't a rating success. Um, you can just... That's very clear by from the way it, way it was treated. And I, I don't think you can mm-hmm. deny that. So there, there's a perception that this was a, you know, kind of a flop or a failure on YTV. So, you know, I was, I was just kind of curious. And I don't, I'm not involved in the Pretty Cure fandom, so I don't hear people talk about it uh, a lot. So I was just curious, and I went around to different Facebook groups for conventions around Canada, because that's where you're going to find the highest concentration of, of Canadian anime fans, for the most part. Um, and I just posted and I said, hey, I'm recording a podcast for this show this weekend, on Pretty Cure, and I was curious who here actually watched this show as a kid, remembers it uh, from when they were watching YTV, because I just assumed that anyone who was able to catch this on TV would have been a kid, just due to the way it was scheduled, because I was not able to catch it in its time slots at all. They were they were very much kid time slots and not adult nerd time slots. And I, I gotta say, I was very surprised by the response. There were a lot of people who remembered the show, a lot of people who got into anime because of the show, uh, a lot of people have a very deep attachment to seeing it on YTV. It, it just shows that just because something was not a broad success in, you know, in a, in a conventional like rating sense, you're always going to find anecdotes of, of, you know, of, of people who it was significant for. Uh, and that was that was a little eye opening for me doing last minute research for this episode. I, I've got to say, and like what you said, Pike, I'm I'm not I'm actually now not surprised that. You've heard you've you've seen so many fans talking about you know seeing it as kids, and I'm I'm just curious if you guys had any other thoughts on you know why this might not have been a uh, ratings or more conventional success than it was. Um, 
you know, it's really interesting to me because from what I've seen is that, uh, from what I understand, Toei tried in the beginning for the first few years of Pretty Cure, they really tried to push Pretty Cure to the West. And yeah. they had like a website um, they, that was obviously not directed at the public, but at, you know, trying to sell the show to networks. Um, they had trailers for not just Futariwa Pretty Cure, but for the first like three or four seasons of Pretty Cure, they made English language trailers yeah. for it. There, they was, have, a, there was a Canadian yeah. produced Splash Star uh, yeah, uh, trailer. There were, there, yeah. yep, and they had trailers up through Yes Precure 5, which was the one that came after Slash Star, um, at least up through then. They have, um, they still have a huge, uh, Pretty Cure section on there. If you go to Toei Animation's, uh, USA website, they, you know, they've got like, you know, links to Digimon and Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon, and then they've got a link to Pretty Cure with all the English information and English translated logos and, you know, plot synopsis and, it, so it really feels like they really tried for a first few years and for whatever reason, it just, it just didn't catch on. And I think some of it might have to do with, um, kind of the lack of merchandise is kind of would be one of my thoughts. It's kind of a very toy driven show. They work, you know, closely with Bandai to sell toys. <laughs> it's, uh, I and, just talked um, about how I wanted to buy a toy from this show. And yeah. yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, um, I just remember being a kid and getting into Dragon Ball Z and there was like, at that time there was like no Dragon Ball Z merch until one day I like, we went to like a dollar store or something and they had like a bootleg yo-yo with Goku's face on it. And I freaked <laughs> out because I was like, Oh my God, like it's a yo-yo with Goku on it, you know? And it was like, you know, a cheap bootleg or whatever. But it was at the time it was like, Holy crap, you can get like, you can actually get merch of this weird show on TV that I liked as a kid, you know? And so I think that, you know, um, Maybe if kids had been able to go to the store and there had been pretty cure merch and they had been buying it or that had, you know, inspired them to get into the show, I think maybe it might have been more successful. But for some reason, we didn't get any merch, you know, really outside of Japan. So I, I don't know what that's about. It's just it just kind of seems to me like they tried and it didn't quite work. So they were like, well, I guess that's that. <laughs> I, so I, I was reading that. I, I don't know how. um if this is actually accurate, but for kids, did they have the rights to it at some point, but sat on it? Or wasn't there something going on with four kids very early on with Pretty Cure? I, oh, I feel like there was. I, I don't remember the exact specifics, but I feel like they were maybe like either interested in it or they were going to buy it and for some reason kind of backed out. Um, don't quote me on that, but yeah. I, I do feel like I read that somewhere. Yeah. It also feels like something that somebody made up. It <laughs> just kind of true. Said. Yeah, you know. But, <laughs> but they, they did. They yeah, people Dory make up stuff about four kids all the time. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Most, most things you read about four kids are made up by people who have probably never even seen a four kids dub before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> frankly, uh, most memes around four kids are very obviously made by people who have no actual firsthand yeah. experience <laughs> with things that that company produced. It, it definitely feels like merchandise played a role in why this was never really able to take off properly in North America. I was going back to some old discussion that was that was going on back when the dub premiered, and one thing that was brought up constantly was that, well, this is airing in Canada now, but there's no merch. How can this... Like, is this going to work? Because Pretty Cure is, you know, it's based around mer merchandise. Merchandise is the whole reason it exists. Mm -hmm. uh, so it might just be that Toei had tried to get merch deals off the ground, and it just... everything. Everything fell through, 
and uh, they just you know, decided to throw the dub out as a test on YTV and see how it did. And unfortunately it didn't do well um, because, you know, as you mentioned, merch and the programming are, you know, kind of mutually exclusive and, and required for, for success and it didn't work out. But then again, there was no, there's no real merchandise for Glitter Force as far as I know. And somehow yeah. that, that was, it, it managed to be kind of a thing on Netflix for a while at least. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me because there are, you know, there are people who got into Pretty Cure through Glitter Force. So it's like just like there are people who got into Pretty Cure through the dub. And it's just kind of interesting to me that, you know, it's like these people exist. And I think um, that Toei and Crunchyroll have finally started to listen as of recent events were kind of notorious on Twitter, us Pretty Cure fans for being very loud whenever Toei tweets yeah. <laughs> and saying, where's Pretty Cure? Where's Pretty Cure? And it's almost, it's kind of become our joke is here, but this is their way of saying, okay, here's Pretty Cure. Now you can shut up. But it's just, it, it, it is kind of interesting to me to just how many people out there, you know, get into it through what are supposed like failed dubs. But the, you know, there are fans. So it's just, you know, they are out there. And I always thought that was interesting. Yeah, probably even and, worth remembering that technically the original Sailor Moon dub was considered a yeah. failure in the United States, and look how look <laughs> yeah. where that got them. But yeah. but but then that's that's the whole thing. The it it wasn't uh, it wasn't just that Sailor Moon got good ratings in Canada that kind of kept kept that train going a little longer. The fact that the merch sold well, yeah, they did in Canada, and then Irwin, uh, which is a Canadian based company, took over the merch. I know I had that merch. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a big component of it, and that uh, was the ma- a major component that was missing with Pretty Cure. So yeah, yeah, yeah it might t- just be the fact that like the kids couldn't as easily continue the adventures in their play sessions as they could with Sailor yeah. Moon, where you had the dolls yeah. and you had the the wands and whatnot and all that. Yeah, I, that's really kind of the only like real thing I can think of as for why it didn't take off so well. Um, is just I think that it's easier for kids to stay invested in something when, you know, they have the merch or they can ask their parents, I want this for my birthday or, you know, it's just kind of. Um, but without that, it just kind of ended up being, you know, one of those shows that was, you know, airing for a while yeah. and then it was gone. It was and then you couldn't buy it on video anymore. A show or, on know, TV. Just... And it was also like the streaming revolution hadn't happened yet at that point, but it was still leading in that direction. Like, I know that I was de- definitely paying more attention to digital at that point i know i'm not a kid so that doesn't speak to the experiences of what kids were watching (laughs) at that time but i i feel like that uh, anime fans at least were not exactly paying as much attention to ytv at that time and on that note um i i feel that like the comments i was reading on social media were really the tip of the iceberg for that kind of thing so if uh if you're you know listeners if you're someone who discovered pretty cure on ytv and became a fan or even if you discovered anime because of pretty cure i really want to hear from you i want to i want to hear your story about that uh, if you can email me at zonncanada at gmail.com or even just hit me up on twitter at jbetteridge or or at zonncanada is my less used uh twitter account for the show uh, i would i would really like to hear your story um so yeah reach out if if that does apply to you um Maybe uh, maybe we'll wrap up just talking a little about where the franchise sits now. Uh, so as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the latest one, Heal and uh, Good Pretty Cure, is finally on Crunchyroll. And I'm just curious, you know, do you guys have any expect- expectations for the franchise uh, moving forward now that we've uh, kind of overcome that, hur- that hurdle more, more or less? 
Uh, for me, it's it's kind of early on, so it's kind of hard to say. Um, I do think it's uh, I find it kind of hopeful that not only are we getting, you know, uh, North America is getting healing good and Europe is getting Kira Kira Precure All Emote, which is I thought was interesting. because it's like it's not just we're getting one season, but like also two seasons are now legally available. I mean, depending on where you live, but it seems to be a good omen for the future. Um, my. Obviously, my personal preference would be, you know, it would be amazing if we got, like, you know, remastered Blu-rays with all new subtitles, and, you know, it would be awesome if they had, like, if they released a Blu-ray of Futari Wa Pretty Cure with the dub as well. Mm-hmm. That would be really neat. Um, and if we could eventually get, like, all the prior seasons, you know, maybe streaming on Crunchyroll would be really awesome. Um, I think right now it's just kind of seeing where it goes. They're kind of gauging interest. Um, it's... Uh, it is a little difficult, I think, because it's the show is still geared very much toward five-year-old kids, but most of the people watching it on Crunchyroll are probably older anime fans, so it's kind mm-hmm. of a kind of a weird kind of in between. Like, you know, if they're going to sell merch, who are they selling the merch to? Kind of. Um, it does have several adult fans, obviously, but um, that's another hurdle that I think will be interesting to see if what they do with that. But I'm I, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic at this point, and um, it'll be really interesting. F- uh, just to see how that goes over the over the course of the next couple of years. Yeah, like I would certainly like to see it take the uh, I guess the the way they handle Sentai and whatnot over stateside, uh, just in terms of like having all the DVD releases and uh, maybe not having a whole lot of extras outside of that, but at least having those releases and having that availability and that respect for the material in those releases. Uh, at the rate things are going right now, it seems like. You know, it ha- it definitely has a future as something that teens or adults are more likely to watch. Uh, you know, subtitled on Pretty Cure, but yeah, at, at the same time, while that's great and it's better than nothing, it kind of that kind of makes it feel like they've just given up on uh, on trying to get it to kids, which is unfortunate, but. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is really interesting. I would love to, like, just kind of be a fly on the wall and hear what their kind of reasoning is behind this, because I, I do kind of, it would not surprise me if they were kind of putting this out as kind of, you know, to appease the fans of, like, you know, those of us that don't shut up on their Twitter account. <laughs> I'm like, I'm guilty of this, I'm sorry. but uh, And so it kind of almost feels like they're like, okay, here you go, here's, here's Pretty Cure, and it'll be interesting to see if they do actually do anything beyond that or if it's just kind of this is their end game is we'll put everything on Crunchyroll and then they'll you know and then they'll be happy or if they actually have any plans beyond that I I honestly genuinely think if they did a you know if they brought um brought back Precure to broadcasting in a time slot for kids brought some merch over did a high quality dub like they did with Futari Wall I genuinely think kids would love it like i like north american kids i think they would they would absolutely love it and i just i feel like it hasn't quite been given that chance and i would love if it was given that chance but um even if we don't get that and we just get the streaming hey at least we have legal pretty care now yeah <laughs> it's better than it's nothing. better than nothing for sure yeah and this is something we say over and over and over again on this show but broadcast is very important for this kind of thing uh, it really helps when it's not just streaming, because uh, there's still still lots of kids watch TV, because their their parents are like the demographic that's most likely to still have a cable subscription. So, and that's why there's so there's still so many kids channels, and you know it's declining for sure, but it's it's still a really important component mm-hmm. of that. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, 
but the thing is that Pretty Cure is always it resets every year, uh, every February. So there's there's always a new chance to 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 kind of start from scratch. Well, thanks for coming on, everyone. Uh, would would you, each of you be willing to just share where uh, you know what you're up to right now and where people can find you online? Uh, yeah. So I mean, I'm uh, I still I I do some other stuff. You can you can uh, find the stuff that I've done online, like the other anime and stuff that I've done on like IMDb and stuff like that. You can find links to all of that on my website, uh, which uh, needs a lot of work, but it has the relevant information, which is just willjwood.com. Um, everything that I have is basically Will J. Wood. So Twitter is Will J. Wood. Instagram, it's the real Will J. Wood because some other Will J. Wood took my Instagram account. But like every other platform I have is just Will J. Wood. Um, like I said, I'm still working. I, I nothing that I can really talk about right now. But I, I do other stuff. Um, I do improv comedy. I'm writing things at the moment. I'm actually working on. Hopefully, by the end of this year, um, I'm working with a really cool artist, and we'll be able to launch um, a my first uh, webcomic series that I've written, Ooh. Um, which is pretty cool. Um, it's uh, I, won't, I won't give too much away about it, but it is a female-led uh, series, so it's been pretty cool to uh, to write a female lead. Um, and uh, I, I'm also working, or have been working for the past little while, on my own board game. So you might see stuff from that coming. And then just generally uh, doing creative stuff. I also, um, if you want to follow me on Twitter again at Will J Wood or any of those platforms, I'm big into gaming. So you can you can see that kind of stuff and what I'm doing there. And uh, yeah, generally I'm just uh, if anybody listening to this wants to. To ask me anything about uh, Precure or voice acting or stuff like that, or just in general wants to hit me up, I'm totally cool to uh, to chat, you know, within reason. So, uh, yeah, like I said, just Will J. Wood pretty much everywhere, willjwood at gmail.com. It's, uh, luckily, I have a fairly marketable name, and ex- with the exception of Instagram, I, I run the gamut on Will J. Wood <laughs> as, a, as a brand name, so. And, uh, Pike? Ah, uh, well, um... I don't really do any, like, uh, thing big and fancy, really. I'm on Twitter pretty uh, regularly as Pikestaff, P-I-K-E-S-T-A-F-F. Uh, most of my time is spent yelling about Pretty Cure um, and how much I think Nagisa and Honoka should get married. Um, <laughs> I Sometimes I talk about video games um, and the fact that I'm still playing World of Warcraft after all these years, but uh, mostly it's just uh, me screaming about Pretty Cure. Um, I used to do a lot of, like, uh, long-form type blogging about video games and anime and that kind of stuff, but I kind of got lazy and haven't done that in a while. But um, if I ever get back to that, I'll probably also um, link that on my Twitter. So if you want to come scream about me with Pretty Cure, um, please feel free to hit me up. I I love talking about it. (laughs) And Aaron? Uh, once again, I'm Aaron, also known as Aaron Cerise. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Aaron Cerise. That's E-R-Y-N-C-E-R-I-S-E. And also on Twitter at the same name. Uh, and once again, you can check out uh, Maho Profile, A History of Magical Girls. I also have a new podcast of my own. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm currently uh, three episodes into a new, uh, uh, a new role-playing game podcast called Super Idols RPG. Uh, we're playing the game Masks a New Generation with a magical girl and idol twist. Uh, so you can listen to that at superidolsrpg.wordpress.com. Uh, 
Great. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in to Zone in Canada. I am your host, Jesse Betteridge. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonencanada at gmail.com. Uh, our theme song is by Ultra Klystron, and you can find that on his album Packet Flood uh, at ultraklystron.com. Uh, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you use for podcasts. Um, I also have a coffee account, ko-fi.com slash Canada. If you like what I do, you can uh, just leave a quick donation there of $3, and it'll help a lot. Thanks for listening. See you again. will be hard work, but it would be a lot of fun to sing. Let's say you at least give it a listen. Let's not decide until we hear it, okay? Try some on the house, ma'am? No, no. Thanks. How can you resist the temptation of free donuts? Well, if you insist. I hope you don't mind. The burner for my skillet went out, so I had to deep fry them. <laughs> I don't do trans fats.